Um, so this semester we are going to be looking at the life of Abraham from the book of Genesis. And uh, as Chloe and Alexander said at the beginning, we want to love and serve our campus. And we actually believe that one of the ways that we can do that well is to be a place where people can come uh, and they can hear what the Bible claims about God. And so uh, that is what we're going to do. Uh, last semester, we looked at the book of Philippians, and this semester, we're going to go to the Old Testament. And um, Abraham uh, might seem like sort of an obscure figure. Uh, you might wonder, like, why would we study this? Um, there's a number of reasons. One, like, Abraham throughout the Bible is held up as this model or example of faith. Um, he, he lives this uh, incredible life. Um, but also, like, if you're, even if you aren't really interested in what the Bible has to say about Abraham, um, he's a pretty significant historical figure. You could argue that he's either the most or second most important person who ever lived. Uh, because Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their origins to him. It's a pretty significant life uh, that he lived 4,000 years ago. Um, but a- another reason that we're looking at him is that if you look at his whole life, and you'll, we'll see this throughout the whole semester, He's sort of a microcosm of what it looks like to be redeemed. He, uh, the whole story of the Bible, in some ways, is all in his life in seed form. He's like an acorn that will grow into an oak tree throughout the Bible. And so, uh, all culminating in Jesus, uh, according to the Christian story. So, uh, we're going to read kind of a long passage here that sort of sets up the beginning of the story of Abraham. We're going to read a kind of boring paragraph, and then an interesting paragraph, and then another boring one, but, but they're relevant and important, so you'll see that as we go. Now, so starting in Genesis 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of Canaan. But when they had come to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, or it could be translated, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel to the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. 
Let me pray for us and we'll jump into this. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, um, whether we are coming from a place of um, profound experience of you and trust in you and confidence in you, or whether we are coming from a place of deep hurt and pain, um, or whether we are coming from a place of uh, radical skepticism where uh, this all sounds like a fairy tale. Uh, Wherever we are coming from, uh, would you be with us? And would you speak to us? Let me pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, several years ago, uh, in RUF, we had an intern named Hampton. Uh, and he's, uh, I love him. Loved him then. Love him now. Um, but uh, my brothers both used to live in Mexico. They both, one lives in Saudi Arabia now and the other lives in Chile. <laughs> but back then they lived uh, in Guadalajara. And uh, they were, my oldest brother was working with a church. And that church was connected to an orphanage. And so we took a team down to go help out with the orphanage, to do some construction work and uh, to work some with the orphans there um, outside of Guadalajara. Um, But my family got hit with just a violent disease from about December 30th until the start of the semester in the middle of of January. And I got a really awful case of the flu right before the trip. And so I wasn't able to go on this trip to Mexico like... It was really, we were there to help the orphans, but I was like getting a free trip to go see my brothers, right? And um, so I had this uh, awful flu, like really high fevers. I went about three or four days without really sleeping where I would kind of drift off in and out. And I was really disappointed to miss out on the trip. Um, but also, like as the leader of the trip, not going, I still had a bunch of logistics to take care of, like waivers that had to be signed and people had to like scan them and email them to me. And then I had to like pass them on to these people and sign all these insurance forms and all this stuff. And the night before the trip, uh, when they were all leaving and I was staying home, I was just like in, you know, the midst of this fever, just kind of delirious. And I'm stressing out because I'm like, have I signed everything? Do they have everything they need? You know, did I put the right form in? Um, and, but the cool thing was I had been able to like, during the, while, while you're sick, you know, while I was doing all these forms, I also got to like watch a lot of movies. And this is back when like, uh, I, I had not caught up on the Avengers. I still haven't. Um, there's like 48 Avengers movies. But I, while I'm in bed with the feet with uh, the flu, I'm like, I watched, you know, Captain America, Iron Man one and two, the first Avengers movie. And I was just like, just sort of immersed, like watching them on my laptop on Amazon Prime. And so at least that was sort of a bright spot. Well, the night before, you know, they're about to leave, and I'm, I'm worried. I'm anxious. I've sweated through my sheets. You know, I'm waking up, and I can remember very vividly. I sat bolt upright at four in the morning just feeling awful and I thought to myself I was like oh no I forgot to give Hampton the instruction manual for the Iron Man suit (laughs) and I was really bothered I was like how's he gonna he's not gonna know how to fly it like I'm picturing him you know bouncing off the walls and like if it was working properly and Hampton knew how to use the Iron Man suit you know he could get so much work done and the orphans would love it and you know be amazing and um, it wasn't until, like, the next morning, about 8 or 9 in the morning when I was in the shower, I was still feeling anxious about it that it suddenly occurred to me um, that that was not uh, real. And so uh, <laughs> what was funny to me about that was that in that moment at 4 in the morning, I knew where I was. I knew that uh, there was a mission trip uh, to Mexico leaving the next day. Um, I knew that I had an intern. I knew they were going to Mexico. Um, but I did not know that I was not Iron Man. Um, and uh, I've, I firmly believe for several hours that I was, in fact, uh, Tony Stark. So um, I now know that I'm not Iron Man. Um, 
But uh, Abraham, <laughs> so I'm telling you the story, Abram, as he's called in this passage, he'll, he'll later be changed to Abraham, and I'm just going to call him Abraham because I'll, I'll forget. Um, but Abraham is also not Iron Man. Uh, I think we, we, we tend to get these ideas that the, that the story of the Bible is the story of a bunch of superheroes. These people who are incredibly strong and incredibly powerful people, when in fact, as we'll see over the next several weeks, um, that uh, Abraham is anything but invincible. He is deeply flawed, uh, and yet he was incredibly used by God. Um, And he was greatly used by God because God was very gracious to him. He was a man very much in need of God's grace. And so we're going to look at some grace that God extends to Abraham here in the passage tonight. Uh, Grace, quickly, is when you get something that you don't deserve. It's a simple definition of grace. You deserve something bad to happen, and instead something good happens to you. And I would say that it is um, probably the major theme of the Bible from cover to cover, is this idea of grace, that God is gracious towards us. And so here's here's where we see this kind of in the passage. Uh, First, uh, Abram is called by grace. The fact that he gets called, that God speaks to him in the first place, is a tremendous act of God's grace. Um, here's, here's what I mean by that. And you could look at it sort of in the big picture, the macro sense of um, humanity. Uh, according to the Bible, uh, ever since chapter 3 in the book of Genesis, you get sort of the origin story of God creating everything in the first couple chapters. And then in chapter 3, mankind rebels against God, and everything just rapidly unravels and descends into things that are worse and worse. Uh, It's a really depressing picture that you get in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Um, You have Adam and Eve, the people who start everything, and then immediately after they fall into sin, one of their sons murders another. But then they have a third son who's kind of okay, he kind of worships God, and he's kind of a decent dude. But then the entire population of humanity descends into like incredible violence and God Uh, brings about judgment, if you know the story of Noah and the flood that comes. But Noah seems like he's an okay guy. He's he's doing okay. You're like, oh, well, maybe they're not so bad. And then, like, Noah gets, like, hammered drunk, and then something sketchy happens with one of his sons in a tent after they're past the flood, and that gets weird. And then mankind grows again, and then uh, we become so full of ourselves that we say we're going to build a tower up to heaven. In the Tower of Babel is a famous story where, they, where mankind says, we're going to make a great name for ourselves, and we're going to build a tower up to heaven, which is a, basically a picture of saying, we're going to climb up and we're going to be like God. We're not going to be humans, we're going to be God uh, ourselves. And so God scatters them, and then that leads to chapter 11 where we picked up the story of Terah and his uh, descendants. And that's the big picture. So God's being gracious to kind of stick with human beings at all, according to the Bible at this point. Uh, but then, that's the macro, but then there's the micro. Like, you look at Abram's family, um, and this was one of the boring parts that we read at the beginning. Um, but his father, Terah, Terah is the name of a moon god. Uh, Sarai, his wife, is named uh, for the moon god's wife, his consort. Milka, one of the other family members, is the moon god's offspring. And so... Um, we know from where they lived, Ur of the Chaldeans, they worshipped a god named Marduk, who was the chief god, and then there was Shemesh, the sun god, and then Terah, the moon god, and his wife Sarai, and offspring, and so on and so forth. And we know um, from archaeology and whatnot in Ur, there's a ziggurat, this tower, where worship would take place. And we can tell from kind of the way things are set up that uh, the way that they worshipped Marduk and the other gods was through cult prostitution, which would have been forced, and human sacrifice. 
among other things. Um, and so this family is um, participating in this religion and even naming themselves and their children after the gods that they worship through human sacrifice. And uh, the Bible says as much, acknowledges that. Because you might be like, well, maybe they were the good ones, and they're like, let's get out of here. This is bad and wrong. Um, but uh, this is from the book of Joshua. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they worshipped other gods. How do you worship those gods? Forced prostitution and human sacrifice. That's Abraham. That's where he is when our story begins. If you grew up in the church, Father Abraham, that man he says, they left that part out of the, like, the flannel board <laughs> explanation when I was a kid. I don't remember that. Um, I don't remember the child sacrifice. Um, and God calls him out of that. And he takes his father with him. But then they stop at Haran. They don't go the full way to Canaan. But then uh, even in the life of Abram, as we'll see as the story unfolds, even after he is called, uh, he is fickle. He's cowardly. We'll see. I don't I want to spoil next week, but next week is, is a very eyebrow-raising story of like, wow, did, that, did he woo-woo? <laughs> so I'll simply say, um, you would not want Abram to be your dad. Uh, you would not want him to be your husband. He was a pretty good uncle. Like, he, uh, <laughs> he, did, write, he did write by lot, like, several times. He's a pretty, he's a pretty solid uncle. Um, but he's not, he's not this great uh, character. Um, when I was in uh, middle school, I loved to play basketball. And uh, my high school that I went to, it was like a K through 12 school. And basketball was this huge, huge deal. And I lived across the street from our school, and I would go in the summer to play pickup basketball uh, with the varsity team when they had open gym. And I was um, in seventh grade. Um, I was what doctors call a late bloomer. And um, I, uh, but I was there, and the, the cool thing was it was pickup basketball, and you would choose your teams, and I consistently got to play, even though there were varsity players there. And they won the state championship every year when I was a kid. Um, I got to play uh, because my older brother, Steve, was a starting forward on the basketball team. And so he would make sure that I got picked to play, even though I was this, like, scrappy little kid. I didn't deserve it, but by the grace and flagrant favoritism of my older brother, <laughs> I got to be on the team. And it was obvious to everybody that I did not belong there. I didn't belong on the court. And so it is with Abram. Like, he, he doesn't belong there. And by implication, what the author is telling us and the original audience, like, neither do we, neither, neither did they. The original audience of this would have been the nation of Israel following and serving God. Here's what God says to them in Deuteronomy. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying, Israel, Abram, us, 
you're not special. You're not special. Um, there's been like a whole slew of books written about like sort of the narcissism epidemic and like our generation and how we're like, oh, we all want to be special and unique and you know, snowflakes and uh, all that. Um, you've heard all that. Um, but there's something really healthy to hear. Like, you know, you're, it's, not, it's not because that you are special. He says, you're not special, but did you notice what else he said? He says, you are treasured. God treasures you by his grace. Um, we're deeply loved, even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. And that should produce in us a sense of humility and joy and gratitude and love for other people when you've received love that you didn't deserve. Um, he didn't deserve to be on the team, but he is. And so are we. So he's called by grace. Uh, but more than that, he's blessed by grace. Blessed. You know, blessed is one of those words like, what does that mean? Oh, it's just such a blessing. You know, <laughs> like everything's a blessing. And we sort of, the Christians kind of throw that word around. Um, but uh, to be blessed means in, in the Bible, it's the sense of everything being kind of put right. Uh, the root of it is happy, but it's more than just like feeling happy. It's like things are functioning the way that they should. It's a, a sense, a state of, of being in good relationship and with things kind of flourishing the way that they ought to. And God is saying, I'm blessing you. And it's a blessing that is to Abraham, a blessing to him or for him. Verse 2 of chapter 12 says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Um, if you remember, I, I mentioned it a moment ago in the Tower of Babel, the people, when we built the tower up to say, like, we're going to be like God, the, the point was, we're going to make a great name for ourselves. We're going to make our name great. And God says, no, you don't make your name great. I will make your name great. Uh, you're not going to climb up to heaven. Heaven is going to reach down to you. I'm going to be here with you. And it's amazing in these few verses here, God repeats the phrase, I will, five times in three verses. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Implication, not you, Abram. Not you, not you. It's like a jackhammer where he's repeating it over and over. You, I have small children, and I repeat myself to them. I like, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth now. And I'm getting a point across to them when I repeat myself. And God is doing that with Abram, saying, I will bless you. You cannot do it yourself. It's a blessing to Abram by grace, but it's also a blessing through Abraham. It's a blessing to him, but the blessing is through him. He says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That, um, it's a purpose clause, so that, for the purpose that you will be a blessing. Uh, when my brother picked me to play on the team, uh, I didn't belong there. It was very obvious, but he was expecting me to play. Like if he had put me on the team and I'd just been like, I'm just going to stay in the corner. I'll just stay out of the way. I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be on the team. No, he, he put me on the court because he wanted me to play. And we would play to 11 by ones and twos. And if you lost, you left the court. So I had a responsibility to help my team win. And they would forget that I was there and I had a pretty good little three-point shot for a scrappy little kid. And so they would just forget I was there for a while and then they'd hit me when I was open. I'd, I'd every now and then make a shot or I'd make a pass or make a play um, because that was the purpose that he put me on the court for. It, I would have completely missed it if I had just said, well, because I don't deserve it, I'm not going to be part of it. And God put you and he put Abram on the court so you can play. 
And the thing that we're playing on is being a blessing to other people. Um, God's goal in calling out Abraham by grace is so that he could transform the entire world through him and his family. Um, that is God's pattern in the Bible. We've, it is, a, of course, good. Partly it's for Abram. It's for his benefit. We receive blessings and they are for us, but they are not just for us. It is, uh, God's pattern is always to bless so that we would extend his blessing to other people. Well, how does that come about? It's a blessing to us and it's a blessing through us. How's that come about? Uh, finally, for, um, third point, uh, the response to grace. He's called by grace, he's blessed by grace, and then he responds to grace. And uh, the way he responds is with radical obedience. God says to him, leave your land and your kindred, or it could be his birthplace and your father's house. Um, one of my favorite commentators to read on these books is a guy named Robert Alter. He teaches at Berkeley. He's a Hebrew scholar. But he points out here that God is using these triples. And in Hebrew, you, you say things three times to drive a point home. If some of you who were at small group uh, last semester, we looked at holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in Isaiah <coughs> chapter 6. Um, that each statement is getting a little bit more specific in driving the point a little bit deeper. Leave your country, leave your birthplace, leave your dad's house. And go. Get out. Go to the place that I will show you. And here's what's crazy. God doesn't even tell him where. Go to the place that I'll show you later. Leave everything you love and cherish. Leave your old gods. Leave your friends. Leave your people. And go. And I'll give you the details later. And it's incredible. He goes. Ah. Uh, you and I would, like, if this happened to us, <laughs> get this voice from God that tells you to do this, it would be like, yeah, I think I'm going to make an appointment at the wellness center. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I need, like, a massage and, uh, you know, like, let's, let's think this through. Maybe some acupuncture and some counseling. Um, Abraham goes. Uh, it's, it's radical. Radical obedience. And then it's not just radical obedience to the command, but then it's responded to with radical worship. He worships God. It, it talks about him, the boring part that we read at the end where he's traveling to all these places with obscure names. Um, and he travels all the way through to the Negev. Basically, uh, the original audience would have had like a map in their mind and they would have been like, oh, he went to the top of the promised land and then he went to the middle of the promised land and then he went to the very bottom of the promised land. He walks the whole course of the land that God has shown him and he stops at each place uh, and builds an altar to the Lord and worships him there. And uh, that place, the Oak of Moray and Bethel, we know were, were places of, um, there are pagan shrines that we've found, like from archaeology and whatnot. These were centers of the Canaanites' worship of all these false gods. And then Abram goes to those places, these worship centers, these city centers, where uh, the, the people who live there are worshiping in other ways, and he builds an altar to Yahweh. He's making a public statement to the people who live there, I worship the Lord God, Yahweh, uh, in the face of polytheistic paganism and a, what would have been a very hostile culture to him. It would not have been like cool and popular to go build your own altar to Yahweh, and yet that's what he does. Um, responding to God's grace looks like radical sacrificial obedience and radical worship of God in the face of opposition and hostility. Um, that's 
what Abram did, and that is true of us. Abraham responded so radically. Why? Because he considered God's promise worth it. God had been gracious to him, and he just believed the promise. He said, okay, your word's good enough. Uh, I'm going to do it. So how can, how can we do it, though? Because you probably haven't gotten like a vision in the middle of the night. If you have, like, let's talk. Let's get coffee. Talk that through. Maybe we should go to the wellness center. Um, but how do we do it? Um, I love this verse in the New Testament. It says that all of God's promises are yes in Christ. That uh, there's this thread that runs through the Old Testament into the New where all of the promises of God are tied in together and are manifested in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is everything that Abraham was but more and better. Uh, Abraham, or Jesus, leaves his home at the right hand of God the Father in perfect obedience and enters into hostile territory and worships his father here. He goes into danger and risks everything and gives everything at his father's command so that he could be a blessing to the whole world. He's like Abram, but better. And he's like Isaac. This is fast-forwarding in Abram's story. But how is Abraham going to be a blessing? It's going to be a blessing through his family, through his offspring. And there's, as the story unfolds, we get to his son Isaac, and we're like, okay, is this going to be like the, the offspring through which everyone is blessed? And then like, ah, Isaac's not so great. And then you get to his son Jacob, and he's not so great. And then Jacob has 12 sons. We're like, well, his son Joseph's pretty great. Is he going to bless the whole world? Maybe it's Reuben. Maybe it's Judah, his sons. And then... You fast forward, it's like, no, it's not. Things are still really messy. And then you get to King David, who wrote that song we sang earlier. And it's like, maybe he's the guy, but then he's like killing people and having affairs. And maybe it's his son, Solomon, but then he's got like 800 wives and kind of a knucklehead. And then things kind of fall apart and the nation's like left alone. And then along years and years later comes Jesus, the descendant of Judah, the descendant of David, the promised son that in him we might all be blessed so that the New Testament would call us, people of faith, sons of Abraham. The children of Abraham, the family of God. All that Abraham wasn't and all that Abraham hoped for are fulfilled for us in Christ. And because God was faithful to Abraham and gave him this grace and Abraham responded to that grace, you and I are still being impacted by the life of this man 4,000 years ago. Because he left his country and his kindred and his father's house and went. Um, so I started out talking about Iron Man, how Abram's not Iron Man. But actually, he's, he is a lot like Tony Stark. <laughs> like, he's not Iron Man, but he is Tony Stark. If you've seen the Avengers movies, I hope you have. They're amazing. Um, and especially now, like, as the movies, even more than I knew in my sweat dream. Um, uh, Tony Stark is this awful guy. He's this narcissistic, addicted, selfish, self-absorbed, vain, arrogant person. But after he gets the Iron Man suit, like as the, the 19 movies about him unfold, more and more and more there's this progress where he begins to start to fit the suit. He realizes that he has this amazing gift and it starts to transform who he is. And he begins to become a hero. He, he begins to become someone who lives out of sacrifice and out of service for other people. The, the suit transforms him. And it's interesting, uh, Tony Stark is played by Robert Downey Jr. 
And there's a lot of parallels between St Tony Stark's early life and Robert Downey Jr.'s actual life. Um, and he really, he very much hit rock bottom in a very public kind of way many years ago. And he's kind of been through rehab and things have been restored. There was this amazing thing that happened a few years ago at the Golden Globes. Um, Robert Downey Jr. got on stage in front of everyone and he said, you have been very kind to me and I've made a whole lot of mistakes and you've forgiven me. And now I want to introduce a friend of mine and he invites Mel Gibson onto the stage, and this was about a year after Mel Gibson had his very famous meltdown and rant. And he said, I want you to forgive him too. It's this like beautiful little moment where he's saying, I've been forgiven now, can you, can you forgive him too? He's transformed. And in the gospel, we have this amazing thing. We are covered in grace. Uh, we have an Iron Man suit called the grace of God in Jesus. And his promise, as he will do in Abram's life, who is imperfect all the way through the story. Uh, but just like with him, so with us, he will continually wrap us in Christ and transform us more and more over time to look more and more like him so that we might not just get the blessing from him, but pass that on to other people. And God can do that in your life. A lot of you are thinking, like, I am, like, inept. <laughs> I am not capable. I might be able to be forgiven, but there's no way I can be a blessing to somebody else. But by the grace of God, you absolutely can. And may that be true for you and for me. Let me pray.